Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tidewad Tech, episode 64, Hodgepodge for 600, Alex, recorded September 12, 2011. And uh, this week, we have another one of our Hodgepodge episodes. Just a couple of things, a few things that didn't have enough uh, length to them to be a single show, but uh, were worth mentioning. So we put together a Hodgepodge. When I first started, when we first did these, I, I called it Hodgepodge for 200. And kind of painted myself into a corner now because now we can only do 200, 400, 600. I've got like two more, 800 and 1,000. Then I'm going to have to come up with something else. Potent potables, maybe. Hey, no, no, that's all right. You know, we can do hodgepodge for 28,200. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Super Jeopardy, they did that, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, hey, Sean, how's it going? I'm doing great. I am ready to roll tonight. I'm glad. Uh, first thing I want to start <laughs> off with, uh, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, but I did want to say uh, this is September 12th. Yesterday was the 10th anniversary of September 11th. Lots of different companies, uh, excuse me, different countries have their Memorial Days and their things like that. But September 11th was truly a global event. And I just wanted to take a moment to say a word of thanks to those uh, uh, all around the world and, and all the countries around the world that are, are, are uh, fighting to defend uh, freedom in whatever form it may take. And, uh, if you or someone you know was affected by uh, the events of September 11, 2001, our, our um, hopes for your continued recovery and peace go out. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Amen, brother. So I wanted to mention, uh, starting off here, that this weekend we're, we're going to be talking today about uh, a new tablet on the market. Uh, but I wanted to talk about an old tablet on the market first, uh, uh, particularly the iPad We've talked about it before on the show a few times, but uh, just this weekend, I was watching my daughter, my youngest daughter, who will be three in a couple of weeks, uh, work with this with the iPad, and it occurred to me that I never taught her how to use it. I never gave her even a moment's training. Now, she saw me do it, so I guess technically that's training, but she can operate the iPad. She can turn it on. She can slide the thing to unlock it. She can find the app she wants, be it the, the draw app or the game app that she wants or the puzzles. Uh, she can launch Netflix. She can find some of the recently watched things there, Phineas and Ferb or iCarly or whatever. She recognizes those icons. She can play it. She can pick an episode. She does all that all on her own, and she's three. So Apple has invented a device that three-year-olds can use. Now, I just wondered, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm honestly not sure because, you know, <laughs> what does that say about their clientele or, or maybe what they think about the country if they invented a device for three-year-olds? On the other hand, you know, simplicity and ease of use is sort of one of those uh, golden hallmarks that you shoot for. So I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing that the iPhone, uh, the iPad is a device designed for three-year-olds. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's funny because you, you kind of touched on that, right? I, the the holy grail of UI development is to make it uh, quote-unquote grandma-proof, right? And uh, the iPad is grandma and three-year-old and it just about everything else proof. So uh, that uh, speaks to Apple's engineering prowess. But at the same time, yeah, it kind of goes back to the thing we've, we've talked about many times before where – it also goes to what Apple wants everybody to be, which is a consumer rather than a creator. And, uh, you know, so they make that interface uh, in such a way that, I mean, you can just mass consume, you know, digital media and uh, and it works very, very well. But, uh, 
your three-year-old's probably doing just that, right? She's she's consuming things. She's not on there painting pictures for daddy or, or writing you a card or anything, right? I mean... Well, she is painting. She's using the draw app. Of course, she scribbles, but uh, right. she is producing three-year-old quality artwork. Um, it just it gave me pause to think about as as people rush to put these things in the classroom, maybe we should stop for a moment and just think about you know what they really are and what they were designed for. Um, in a, in my house, it's a toy, and that's all it will ever be. I think I, I don't I don't know if it will ever be a tool. Um, and we're going to talk about a tablet today that I think is getting closer to being a tool. It's still not 100% there, but it's getting there, and, and we'll get to that uh, a little later on. But it just, you know, the fact that my my daughter is so comfortable with it speaks volumes in, in my way. For one thing, um, she's not going to be impressed by any tablet device ever again because she literally grew up with them. So yeah. uh, teachers who today, and I hear it all the time, they talk about classroom engagement with the iPads, and that's that's one of the reasons that we have to use them. That's only going to last like a year or two at the most with, with new kids who've never seen an iPad. But if we're rushing to put these things in schools and spending hundreds of dollars for them for student engagement, that's that's a shiny penny that's going to corrode. That's not going to last. Yeah, I had a uh, I had a guest on the Tightwad teacher, and she was uh, all high on the eye devices in the yeah, classroom. Yeah, I bet your tongue was bleeding by the end of that uh, interview. It, it, that was, believe me, it was really tough. And uh, and even then, when I did ask her the point of question, she kind of side side swiped from you know she dodged <laughs> out of the way, uh, and it took everything in in my power to keep it uh, civil. Uh, but I did a good job. <laughs> uh, but uh, but there was one thing she said that I, I did really like to hear out of her, which was uh, she didn't like the fact that people keep uh, pushing the whole engagement uh, item as far as a, a real hard sell for why we should have these devices. So uh, uh, I, I did like hearing that out of her. And uh, she's out uh, kind of prophesizing these uh, these devices and trying to get them into the classroom and stuff. And um, at the very least, she's doing it a little bit more with the level head on her shoulder. So uh, I, I could certainly appreciate that. Yeah. So uh, I, I've got my own little, uh, little girl with iDevices uh, <laughs> dilemma. Uh, my, well, my four-year-old getting ready to be five-year-old is, uh, uh, you know, birthday coming up and I've been watching her as she constantly uh, angles to get her hands on either my phone or my mother's phone. And my mom has a, uh, she's got an iPhone and uh, I have a Nexus one Android. And uh, one thing I want to really point out is my daughter goes seamlessly between those two devices and and to her, uh, they just, they look different, but they're the same thing. Right. That's a good point. yeah, so that's one thing I've noticed. I, I, I thought maybe there would be um, some sort of a difference or even a preference, right? Like she would she would prefer one over the other, and there's zero preference there. She, Whichever one she can get her hands on, she's happy with. Um, all she needs to know is she can swipe back and forth and find the little games that she wants to play. But uh, as much as I see her enjoy these devices, I'm thinking I'd really like to get her one, and uh but i don't want to get her a phone obviously she's too young for a phone so uh so i got to thinking in the first device that comes to mind was the ipod touch so uh believe it or not there i am contemplating buying my daughter an ipod touch and folks don't let that happen 
I don't know what will happen to the fabric of the time-space continuum if Sean <laughs> buys an iTouch, an iPod device. Uh, it just uh, something. Did you bad just call happen. it an iTouch? You just called it an iTouch. I did. I did. I did. <laughs> wow. You thought I, you thought I was gonna let that slip? I can't <laughs> believe I said that's one of my hugest, hugest, most huge biggest pet peeves <laughs> is when people call them iTouches. There's no such thing as an iTouch. There's no device. Nobody's ever invented an iTouch. That's when you poke. That's when you put your contacts in in the morning. That's an iTouch. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's an iPod touch. But I've been to, to trainings, you know, uh, conferences where they have whole sessions on iTouches. That's great. This mythical device that doesn't exist. It's not an iTouch. So I actually well, said Well, maybe it. they're all in there leaning their heads back trying to, you know. Yeah, putting contacts in. Contact lenses. Because <laughs> so I never go to any of those. Yeah. <laughs> so I slip up and Sean has to call me on it here on, on you know, in front of ones of listeners. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, so, uh, so, yeah, it, don't let Sean buy an iPod Touch, people, if you've got an extra one, talk to John. John was saying in his last episode, he's got a bunch of them laying around, right? Old ones yeah. he's gone through. Somebody give Sean an iPod Touch so he doesn't have to buy one. <laughs> that would be terrible. Well, yeah, what would really hurt me is to put any money into Apple's coffers. I mean, they're already overflowing as it is, right? <laughs> You're not going to get a new one, right? You're doing eBay or, or, or Craigslist oh, yeah, or something? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to buy her a new one. I yeah, mean, the, Pawn shop, maybe? But but the funny thing is, and you actually got me to thinking about this this morning as we were discussing this, and I'm thinking uh, it, it sickened me one that that was the play the first place my mind goes is iPod Touch, right? I, it, just like I I just give people a hard time about when they think a phone they want an iPhone and they just go to the you know what's the best phone iPhone that just pops into their heads and there I am doing the same thing, and uh, you got me to thinking about it. And I thought well. I could do the same thing. I mean, I can get, I can get even a uh, used Android phone, right? So I don't, I'm not spending too much money on it. Uh, I, I can take the SIM card out of it. I guess I would think it would work without the SIM card, but sure, either sure. way, I don't have to activate it. And uh, and it's it's essentially the same thing. So so long as it has Wi-Fi, uh, she can still connect up. We can put apps on it and all all that fun stuff. Um, but it's not a phone for her. It's it's basically the device i want it to be i mean i like the fact uh i don't really see any real learning going on there uh and that's not what i'm concerned with uh but there is learning going on there when you know a three-year-old a four-year-old is using these devices and so when you see them uh just being comfortable with the use of the technology that's what i'm going for that's all i need she can you know uh kill pigs with angry birds and and do all that fun <laughs> stuff i i don't care i just you know want her to have fun using the technology yeah um so somebody out there who bought the iphone and then the iphone 3g and then the iphone 3gs and then the iphone 4 and and you're salivating the iphone 5 send sean one of your old <laughs> devices you we know you're gonna buy another one anyway so just just send Sean one of your that's you know Care of Element OP Productions. You can find us on the website, <laughs> and um, and just send Sean one because um, I'm not really sure what will happen uh, if Sean goes out and buys something. And I may have to buy it for him just to stop that. Um, <laughs> right. I, I mean, I think you're right. You know, maybe that will be the 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 first sign of the coming apocalypse. You know, that's <laughs> you know? that's what I'm thinking because the the Mayans said the world would end in 2012. And, you know, we're not too far away. And right. It might take just about two and a half months from the time you buy it till the end of the world. <laughs> okay, so on to other things, right? We, we were, because uh, I'm going to let that die. Uh, <laughs> we were talking about something that we've been overlooking in uh, in our shows, right? That 
I, I'll let the the great announcing radio voice uh, that you are uh, <laughs> <laughs> lead into this one. Um, yeah, I just wanted to say, join us live. Uh, we do every. Almost every time, not every time, but almost every time we do a show, we broadcast it live uh, on Ustream. You can find it our, at our website at uh, elementopi.com, uh, or you can just go to Ustream and, and search for Element OP. We've got a channel there. You'll find it. Um, but uh, you can listen live. You can join in our chat room there. Um, actually, not the Element OP uh, chat room, uh, not the not the Ustream chat room. We don't check that one, but the Element OP chat room. So yeah, just um, see, this is what you get for calling me a great radio voice. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. Uh, that thing. Yeah, go to uh, elementop.com and click on the live uh, stream button, or uh, or go to elementop.com slash live dash stream. Anyway, Element OP, you'll find it there. It's right there on the front page. Uh, and we 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 broadcast uh, our shows, and we have a chat room there, and we encourage you to get in there and. Um, you know, talk back to us. Let us know where we're going. Things are always better in front of a live studio audience, right? That's why all those, uh, the, every episode of Laverne and Shirley was filmed in front of a live studio audience, right? Because it's better <laughs> that way. So you, you give us something to, to feed off of and, uh, and maybe you have some ideas or some insights we don't have. So, uh, you know, as, as I've said a hundred times before, this is your show. Uh, we just work for you and, and you can join us live and we encourage you to do that. Uh, we record this show. Every Monday night at 9 p.m. Central, mostly. Almost every Monday night at 9 p.m. Central. Usually, yeah. So uh, join us there. And uh, you can find all that, uh, again, on the, the website at elementop.com is a, a schedule link where you see uh, when we're recording. And when we change times, we change it there, too. So just check that periodically, and uh, you'll know when we're doing what. So there's all i got to say about that. Yeah, and that's uh, – I just want to throw in there, too. You get – if you're interested in, in just, uh, you know, what we do, you know, and recording and, uh, uh, all the stuff that kind of goes on, I guess, behind the scenes. And really, if you want to, uh, I would always say tune in a little bit early because we'll turn that stream on a little bit before we actually start recording. And so you get to hear a little bit of the back and forth that we, uh, that goes on. And, uh, you also get to hear us, uh, the parts that get edited out of the show where we step over ourselves right. horribly. And uh, so, uh, yeah, it can be an uh, interesting little insight into what we do. I'm not going to go so far as to say that our end results make us sound professional, but you'll see what goofballs we really are when you hear all the stuff that I edit out. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to move right along to the, the next segment, our new segment that we're calling In the News. And there are a couple of items in the news, uh, neither of which we're really prepared to talk about a lot uh, in, in great detail, but I wanted to mention them anyway. Um, uh, just type in to any search uh, engine of choice, choice DigiNotar, D-I-G-I-N-O-T-A-R, and you'll find out all sorts of information. But uh, basically what happened was somebody compromised one of um, um, the Netherlands' largest uh, security... SSL. Yeah, yeah. security... I forget what they call those things, but, uh, yeah, people who hand out, um, uh, security, uh, certificates. And so, uh, yeah, certificate we, authorities, right? That's, thank you. Certificate authorities. Yeah. And, and why this is important is that every browser, uh, mobile browser, desktop browser, every browser has a list, every operating system has a list of trusted authorities. Um, and these are things when you go to a website like Google or your bank or, or eBay or Amazon or whatever, elementop.com slash Amazon. Uh, when you go to any one of those and you <laughs> nice. get, an, thank you. And you get an SSL session, 
those certificates are signed by somebody who's trusted. And so in order to keep from uh, overloading the Internet, the number of trusted registrars has grown over the years. Uh, Steve Gibson on the uh, Security Now podcast is, is uh, fond of uh, pointing out that the Hong Kong Post Office has, is a security uh, c- a certificate authority that your browser trusts. So anything signed by the Hong Kong Post Office, your browser trusts. Why do we need that? Uh, it's, it's a little crazy. But did you know TAR is one of these things, one of these root-level things, not in America, but your browser already trusts it, even though um, it's not um, an American company, even though they don't hand out American certificates. Um, but they, So somebody got in there, they compromised their system, and they created um, somewhere between hundreds and thousands, depending on the report, of bogus um, security certificates for things like Google, Yahoo, Microsoft. Uh, there was one that was star.com. Which means any website that ends in .dot com uh, right. can um, masquerade as this, and they ended up be, uh, being used by the Iranian government uh, in other other countries, other uh, that have a, a shall we say less democratic process. Uh, sometimes the entire internet pipe is sent through one or two government nodes that they control. And Iran is one of those, and uh, they were using his uh, hack certificates, basically. That when we, there's no evidence that they did, but they had the capacity to eavesdrop on every secured connection. So at that point, when when that man in the middle there has a valid certificate, your browser doesn't say anything. It's just, okay, this is somebody I trust, so I'm going to encrypt it with them. And what you're what you may be doing is handing over your keys to the bad guys. So if you're into that sort of stuff, look it up. If you have no idea what I just said, that's fine. But the important thing is uh, security. Uh, is probably going to have to be reevaluated the way we do things as a result of this one guy. And he posted sort of a manifesto of sorts online, uh, at Pastebin, uh, and, and he says he's only 21 and he did all this on his own and he was just wanting to show how broken the system was. That could all be disinformation. It could actually have been a sophisticated attack by a well-funded government. Uh, who knows? But the point is that very bad things happen and, um, to their credit, all the major brand, uh, browsers now, uh, Firefox, uh, Mozilla Corporation, uh, Microsoft, they those two pe- uh, companies jumped on it right away, Google uh, with their Chrome, and they have now disallowed all DigiNotar certifications. That means the legitimate ones, too, are now gone. So essentially, this company whose job was to be trusted can no longer be trusted, and they're dead. Their company is gone. Um, but it's, uh, it's a big thing. Uh, Apple finally got around to it almost three weeks after it happened. Apple finally finally released an update. But I wanted to say, if you haven't updated your computer recently or updated your browser, um, you're, no, you're not protected. These bogus things could be out there and you could be vulnerable. So uh, updates are important. And that plays into something we're going to talk about a little later on in the show. If you're one of those guys who sees that little blinking update button down there in the corner of your system and ignores it, uh, here's a good example of why that's a bad idea, because there are these potentially, the, the, well, it's not potentially, there are bogus certificates, they are in use, they're out there on the web, and you will never know the difference. Now, that doesn't mean you're a high-priced target, but you could be collateral damage for somebody going after a high-priced target. Maybe they're trying to br- bring down Visa on the same day you just happen to be vis- checking on your credit card balance. You know, it, you could easily be caught in a very wide net there. Right. And I, I think it's good to jump in here and give just uh, maybe the 
the most basic uh, scenario for how this uh, can affect somebody. Uh, basically, somebody gets these certificates and then they can, you know, if I get one of these certificates, if I'm a hacker and I can uh, uh, forge one of these certificates, then I can go and I can make a mock-up of the Bank of America site and I can get you to go to that and it all looks good and you get the little green lock up there in your browser by your address bar there and uh, and you log in and I get your login information. Well, it's, it's worse than that, Sean, because you can actually send them on to Bank of America. So you're right. actually interacting with the bank while this guy's copying down quietly everything that goes on in between. Right. So so basically, yeah, the, the bad guy gets to capture basically all of your traffic. And uh, and then, I mean, you can only imagine what, what happens next. So, uh, so, again, like Mark was saying, uh, it's important to update your browsers and your operating system and all those things because those updates more often than not are security updates. Uh, and it's just for uh, things like this. So if you're ignoring those uh, those warnings or those uh, requests to update, uh, rethink it. I know your computer very often is popping at you and saying you need to do this, you need to do that. And most people, I think, are in the habit of ignoring those things. But uh, browsers, operating system updates, uh, Java, Flash, those uh, those are important ones to get to, uh, Adobe, um, uh do all of those updates. Let your computer do what it's uh, it's made to do, and uh, it'll keep you a lot safer. It won't keep you 100% safe. There's just no way to do that. But uh, And, yes, update. it does mean that once in a while you have to reboot your computer. And, and we all uh, geeks know how difficult it is, what a chore it is to reboot your computer. But, yes, sometimes you have to do that. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Mark, I, I guess that's enough on that one. I, I'm really interested because I didn't see this in the notes uh, earlier in the day. Uh, this next item. So, so what is this about? Well, you're just not a big enough geek if you didn't know about this. Yeah, uh, this, yeah, I really didn't know about it at all. So you're breaking the news to me. I'll, I'll act surprised. This week, actually, today in most of the world, and I think on the day this show comes out uh, in North America, uh, George Lucas releases the Star Wars six uh, set uh, Blu-ray DVD series, Blu-ray series. Uh, <gasps> So, I can't believe it. Yeah. Now, now the reason this, you know, the reason this is a big deal is because George Lucas has made some changes, and as we all know, Star Wars is now canon and cannot be changed. It is scriptural text, and to change yeah. it is akin to changing the Quran or the Bible. Um, and um, you know, back in the uh, late '90s, when he re-released them, and uh, and changed it so that Greedo shot at Han before Han shot. You know that was a big deal. And uh, Google it. Google Han shot first. I guarantee you will find religious style debates about that. Um, <laughs> now we have um, uh, some the from, biggest from. Thing uh, now. I'm sorry, from parents' basements across the <laughs> land. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. In between D and D turns. Um, yeah. <laughs> So one of the big things now that I've read in the blogs is uh, that scene, and I'm sorry if there's any spoilers here, if you haven't seen the 28-year-old movie yet, uh, but or however long it is, uh, what, it would be 35 years now? Wow. Something That's like that, the, yeah. uh, So anyway, if you haven't seen Star Wars Empire Strikes Back yet, cover your ears for the next couple of minutes. Uh, so... The scene there where uh, Darth Vader throws the Emperor down the shaft, now they, he's added a sound effect of Darth Vader saying, no, 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 and throwing him down. And people, again, you have changed scripture, 
and that's a big deal. <laughs> and so uh, I just wanted to prepare you for that. If you hear uh, geeks behind their ret- retainers uh, uh, arguing over this sort of thing, now you know what it's talking about. Not only has the uh, Blu-ray uh, come out, not only do you get it in full uh, 1080p high def with 6.1 surrounds. I had to look that up. I didn't even know what 6.1 rot was. That's a center channel in front and back. So now you know. So. Okay. Uh, it's in 6.1 surround sound, 1080p high def, but also with some added stuff. So just, you know, if you want to go back to the basement and, and, and watch your, uh, VHS tapes of the original series, it'll be okay. <laughs> just, you know. Well, you know, th- th- there could be beta out there, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it was a release. I saw a funny blog. It was, uh, Somebody said, you know, what right does George Lucas have to alter his intellectual property? This, these characters that he created and stories he's, he wrote, why does he think he can change it? Well, yeah, that, that was kind of the funny thing that he was saying. He was writing it as if he was mad, but really making the point that it's his and he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, maybe Star Wars isn't his anymore. Maybe it's gotten so big it belongs to the world. Yeah, well, I, I think, like you said, uh, if you want all those original versions, they're out there to be had. So, you know, just like turn your back on it, you know, bring down the Blu-ray market and boycott <laughs> the Star Wars Blu-rays. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, one of the things we were talking about earlier was security and updating. And, and this was a topic that uh, came up uh, last week, Wednesday or Thursday. Uh, high school secretary came into my office with a, an official piece of paper when they bring you an official piece of paper you know it's important they printed out something uh from a website somewhere turns out they were having some trouble with the whatever the system they use in the in the library there and she said uh, highlighted on the piece of paper was the internet requirements and it was internet explorer 6.0 she wanted us to roll back their computer to ie 6.0 to make this system work and she saw me kind of wince when she said that. And she said, is that a big deal? I said, we're on version nine now. You're asking me to roll back like four and a half years of, of uh, security and updates to make this one app work. And she just kind of nodded and said, well, yeah. And so that kind of goes back yeah. to what we were just talking about, the, the security versus convenience. And as this world moves more into web apps, this is going to be a problem. Uh, in fact, I had another official piece of paper handed to me um, talking about, the, as I mentioned before, this new system uh, that we've moved to with our uh, grade books and student information and all that sort of stuff. Uh, there was an official document emailed to me that said this, this only works with uh, Firefox 3.6. And that if we're, we're on, if you're anything else, I'm, we're on Firefox 7 on most of our computers, at least 6. Right, and, and we're yeah, supposed I think to roll I, I back. I think I did six. I think I put six on most of yeah. them this summer. So, you know, Firefox eight will probably be out in the next ten minutes, the way they're going right now. So, <laughs> uh, you know, again, you can't, or can you? Uh, is it is it wrong of me to get bent out of shape about that? Because this is the app that we spent money on, and this what is what it needs to work. Or should I be mad because the designers? can't get their stuff together. I mean, when a browser gets better, it shouldn't break your stuff, right? Yeah, I got to say, I side with you on uh, frying the designers for this stuff. If you are going to uh, design uh, an application and you're going to design it to be used uh, you know, through the web or, or uh, to work inside the web browser, 
then you need to be absolutely prepared for all of those browser updates. You know they're going to happen. So uh, how it's mind-boggling to me that these companies can sit back and expect that their users are going going to use basically an outdated browser uh, and really open them up to security risks. Uh, to me, it's just unacceptable. Uh, but, you know, obviously it is acceptable because a lot of people who are making the purchasing decisions have no clue about this kind of stuff. Yeah. So as we've said before, you hire tech professionals, hopefully you do, not a teacher who knows how to reboot a computer. And if you hire those people to work for you and you're paying them all this money, then consult with them before you make these purchasing decisions. And of course, sometimes that doesn't happen at the district level. A lot of what we're talking about uh, will happen at a regional level or a state level uh, where even worse, a politician is making these decisions. So, Well, uh, listener in a chat, chat room, Element 046 uh, says, uh, uh, return on investment, guys. Develop once and sell it for years. Okay, I can almost accept that if this app wasn't just released in September, uh, or not September, July. So it's a month ago, or, or a month and a half ago, this app was created to work with Firefox 3.6. So that's not a return on investment issue. That's not a legacy app. This is a brand new app that is being rolled out all over the state uh, and Texas is the second largest state in the in the union here, and and it's it's not this isn't a return on investment. This isn't legacy code. This is lazy programming. There's some well, feature I, I, that you know. One thing though to add there is I'm sure they started developing that two years ago. So uh, you know there is that. There's that lead time, right? Uh, but. Still, you know, in programming, you're going to have your main group, your lead programmers, right, that are really uh, forming the the future of the product. But you're going to have uh, you should have a separate team working on updating the thing. And even while it's in development, that should be going on. And uh, yes, it does go back to ROI. Let's go cheap. Let's not have that secondary group of developers working on keeping the thing up to date. And uh, yeah, so it is. But Again, it's shoddy work. It it doesn't matter ROI or not. That's like saying that uh, Chrysler is trying to up their ROI and by putting cars on the road that fall apart. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't it it doesn't make it acceptable. So well, and uh, you know, there's a there's a simple way to fix this, and that's right to the standards, not right to the tool. I mean, how many times, Sean, have you seen a machine with five versions of Java on it because different apps need a different version of Java or, right. or, or the .NET framework? My computer at school right now has .NET framework uh, 2, 2.5, and 3 because I need those for different apps. Because it, you know, So right to the standard, HTML is the standard. If you're writing a web app, HTML is the standard. The current version is HTML5. But even if you're writing to HTML4, that's fine. That's a standard. It's not going away. HTML5 doesn't supersede HTML4. But what you did was you wrote to Internet Explorer 6. You didn't write to a standard. You wrote to a tool. And so you had some hooks there that used, you know, ActiveX or whatever and made your, your thing optimized. But now you've stuck us in freaking 2012 with using Internet Explorer 6. Microsoft has a website on the Microsoft servers that says kill IE6. They want it to go away. Right. But now we can't because your stupid system that you wrote was written to a browser instead of a standard. If it's a browser app, write it to a standard, not to a browser. 
or or you know uh in the chat room he says can't you virtualize the ie6 browser sure i could do that but why doesn't the vendor do that dang it if he has to have firefox 3.6 it's an open source thing wrap it your code in firefox and give me the executable that does that don't make me do it Sorry, I got a little crazy there. <laughs> Gonna have to wipe your brow there. That was, that was pretty passionate. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's it, regardless, uh, and you you can call it ROI uh, or it's either that or lazy programming. Uh, I tend to think it's it's lazy programming, and I'll bet you anything. Even in those companies, there's people at the top that are making those decisions uh, that aren't really don't have the foresight to really see how that's affecting the end user. Uh, so, uh, sad, but true. Okay. Enough of that. <laughs> yeah. But this is an issue. This is the kind of stuff that, that techs people who listen to our show deal with every day. And I'm just voicing your frustration for you. I know you're every bit as, as ticked off about this as I am. You should be able to pull up that latest new Whizbang website in any browser on any platform. I'm talking to you, Apple. If it works with Flash, I should be able to do it on my iPad. Uh, if, <laughs> if it's if it works with HTML5, I should be able to do it on a motorboat. That's that somebody has hacked the Linux kernel on. I should be able to do that. Mark for president. <laughs> All right. So now the next thing I wanted to talk about, which again we didn't think was was worth the whole show, but it's pretty interesting. This is going to be a first look, meaning we just got it to get today at the Asus uh, Transformer uh, tablet, and I'm holding it up. For only Sean, because he's the only one watching uh, my Skype feed right now. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it is a uh, what this is a a ten inch um, Android tablet running Honeycomb, and that in itself is not all that special. There's the the Samsung Galaxy that's running uh, uh, Android. There's there's lots of tablets out there, but what makes the Transformer special, and what makes it earn its name, is another pretty much equal size. 10-inch slab that comes with it that is a keyboard. Oh, well, let me back up. It doesn't come with it. you got to buy it extra. But it's right. a keyboard. Um, a full functional, high-quality laptop-style keyboard that also has a battery built into it. So, according to Asus, and I can't verify this because, like I said, we've only had it a little while, uh, with the dock, this should get 16 hours of continuous-use uh, battery. So that's pretty impressive. But when you pop it out, you flip the little switch and you pop it out and it's just a tablet. It's uh it's a 16 by 9, I guess, um um form factor. It's the the iPad if you have an iPad or the or the Galaxy Tab, both of those are more squarish. They're more like 4 by 3. This is rectangular. It looks like a laptop screen. In fact, when you put put it on the keyboard, it looks just like an Asus 10-inch netbook. Yeah, so, basically a widescreen. Right. So it's a little weird to hold um, because the, the, the angle of incidence of, of the, the weight is so off-center. You know, on an on a iPad, it's kind of centered and it's kind of easy to hold. This one, it kind of needs two hands. You can hold it with one hand, but it's not quite as comfortable. But if you turn it upright and hold it like a, like a piece of paper, like an 8.5 by 11 notepad, 
that's about the size it is and that's about the weight it is and it is very comfortable in that uh format so it's uh it's just a flat slate uh, a 10 inch screen uh oled really really great screen on the back of it it's got uh what would you call that a, a, some sort of metalized texture it's a metal back but it's not smooth like an ipad it's not that flat aluminum it's got a, a ruggedized sort of texture on it that makes it grippy. It doesn't feel like it's going to fall out of your hands when you're holding it. Yeah, and also that's uh, Asus has been putting that out for a little while now. It's that uh, what I like about it is it's that um, non uh, marking. I guess it doesn't it doesn't grab fingerprints. I mean, you right. can hold that thing all day long. It doesn't. You don't have to wipe it off. And now we're not talking about the screen. We're just talking about the the outer shell. But there's going to be plenty uh, of schmutz on the front of it, so you don't. Oh need yeah, it on the yeah, back you too. can't can't get around that. But and so when you pop this in, if you've got or ever seen like an ASUS EPad uh, or uh, not EPad but EPC 10 inch netbook, you would not know this isn't one of those. When you clap uh, clip it in the keyboard, it's about the weight of one. It's about the size of one. Um, and it, I think this may be the crossover device that we've been looking for in education. When you open it up, the the hinge has sort of a, a an overlap on it, so that when you open it up, it serves like a stand, and it pops the keyboard up at about like a 25-degree angle or so. It makes it a little more comfortable for typing. Um, and when you pop this thing down, uh, the typing on it, Sean, you can talk about that, because that was one of the things that blew us both away was typing on this device. Yeah, typing on it is great, and uh, you know we we bought a bunch of uh, netbooks for the district, and we've been using those for a couple of years now. And what always kills me about pretty much any netbook out there, which this is roughly the size of a netbook, it's it's right in between, right? It's kind of a large netbook, but uh, what always kills me about a netbook is the the keys on the keyboard are always crammed together, and so you you inevitably end up mistyping something, especially as you have to reach out with your pinkies or something, and uh, some of those keys are downsized. This thing has a, basically a full-size keyboard. I mean, you absolutely get on there, and you can type no problem. If you're a touch typist, uh, it, it's a piece of cake, and the, the keyboard really feels feels nice. Uh, what I like about it, too, and, uh, you know, my, uh, my laptop, my Asus laptop, um, has sort of a, a spongy keyboard because there's really... Uh, the keys are all all together. Uh, there's no spacers in between. This thing has a, like a metallic layout grid that is a spacer in between the keys. And I don't know if that adds any extra support, but it sure feels like it. The, there's really no sponginess in that keyboard at all. So it really impressed me. Um, and when I think about these devices and like to think that people are using them to actually create something, uh, uh I love that keyboard for it. Yeah, so just to give some of the geek specs, it's got a NVIDIA Tegra 2 uh, dual-core gigahertz processor, um, which, um, if you don't know about the, the Tegra 2, it's it's a, a video processor and uh, ARM processor together. So this has outstanding video performance, um, and Honeycomb sort of demands that, the, the version of, of Linux that this has. Uh, excuse me, version of Android, which is Linux. Now, I will say this, <laughs> this is an Android device. Okay. So it, it's more like an iPad type experience than it is a, um, a netbook or a laptop type experience. But, um, you, you almost don't notice it really once you're in it. Like if you're doing, um, web browsing and, and basic things like that, once you open a web browser, it's home. It really feels, uh, it's a full featured browser. You can even get Firefox for Android on it. 
And um, it's easy to forget you're on a tablet until you want to pop that thing off the keyboard and carry it around with you. And then having that added functionality is pretty impressive. So anyway, um, like I said, Tegra 2 processor. Uh, it's got two cameras, a 5-megapixel camera on the front and a 1-megapixel uh, or maybe a 1.2-megapixel uh, yeah, camera on the on the front. So you can do uh, Skype, face-to-face, that sort of thing. Uh, it's got a 1280 by 800 um um, we're going to get to that in the chat room. <laughs> uh, we, I'm not going to tell you what he asked, but we're going to get to that. Uh, so it's got a, uh, uh, 1280 uh, by 800 resolution display. So again, very similar to, um, uh, a laptop. It's, it's not an OLED screen. It's, uh, I forget what they call it, but it's a really nice, bright, vivid screen. Uh, the dock has its own battery, and and what's interesting is it doesn't really run off of that battery. It uses that battery to charge um, the system. So when you plug it in, it it says that it's charging. Uh, and they say that the tablet on its own gets eight hours, and that the uh, the uh, keyboard doubles that. So they say you'll get sixteen hours out of it. 802.11n wireless, Bluetooth with SRS and, and all the, the new stuff there. It's got an H, HDI, HDMI outputs for video, so you can plug it straight into a projector or uh, an output source of some kind and uh, display that thing there. Um, it's got a micro SD card on the tablet and a full SD card slot on the keyboard. So you can have two different SDs, uh, one full size, one micro. It's got two USB slots on the keyboard. Um, not on the tablet itself. It's got a headphone out, uh, and the uh, charger that comes with it charges either the pad or the keyboard or both. So you plug the key, the pad into the keyboard and, and charge them both. And when we got it today, took it out of the package, it had about a 30% battery, and I plugged that thing in, and about an hour and a half it was fully charged. So uh, there's your time to charge there. Um, 16 gigs of internal memory, four of which Android uses. So you got 12 gigs of space, but you got two SD card slots. So you could really go crazy with that thing. Sure. Um, the dock feels a little wonky going in. It, it's, it's, it's feels like it's kind of easy to miss it. But once you get a good solid connection, it's as sturdy as any laptop. I mean, it really feels like it's part built into the unit you can't tell that it's detachable once it's attached yeah that's one thing that really uh as i was attaching it and and detaching it and just kind of getting a feel for how that worked um it was one thing that kind of i guess uh was questionable to me it's probably uh, going to be the first thing to break Right. Yeah, and that's really it. When you put this into the hands of uh, students, I'm wondering how that's going to hold up. So obviously, that's why we have one of them. Uh, we're we're going to test it out and just check on the durability of it. Uh, but once it is connected, it's extremely sturdy. So, uh, you know, I'm not seeing maybe younger students really being able to use that without at least some decent supervision. Uh, but certainly high schoolers would probably be okay. Uh, middle schoolers, maybe. Um, yeah, um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I have more faith in you. I think that you watch a kid as young as six or eight years old a couple of times, and then they've got it. Uh, um, because it, it doesn't, it doesn't really flex left or right. You're not going to snap anything off, but it, it is uh, kind of you got to line it up just right. But, but again, once it's there, it's there. Um, the when you're holding it just as a tablet, because it's widescreen, 
um, it you just sort of naturally want to hold it in your hands and use your thumbs to drive it. And the buttons are placed that way, too. The, the designers recognize that. So when you're using it, most of the interface buttons can be reached by one of your thumbs. Um, the I, I assume you could probably put the swipe keyboard on it, my favorite keyboard. Uh, but that's the beautiful thing about this. It's got its own keyboard. If you really want to do some typing, you can sit down and use the actual keyboard. I didn't mention price. I'm sure you're asking about that. From Amazon, elmanopi.com uh, slash Amazon um, <laughs> for the uh, the tablet and the keyboard um, and and free shipping. They they comp the shipping was uh, five eighteen, so slightly less expensive than the same sim- similar model uh, iPad or or slightly more expensive uh, depending on where you get it, but around five hundred bucks. Um, slightly more expensive than a um, a netbook. So I don't know that I'm, you know, would be rushing to to say this is the the one to one solution for you, but it really was intriguing. It got my attention, and now that I've used it, I don't know that I'm going to give this to a student. <laughs> I like it. Uh, now the big question: We're a Google App School. We've talked about Google Apps often. Was how does Google Apps work? And the answer is it doesn't. I'm sorry to say, uh, Google really needs to work on that. Um, and I, you can lie to the the viewer, uh, the browser, and tell it you're a desktop browser, and and Google will present you with the regular uh, interface instead of the mobile interface. But it's it doesn't work. Um, it's just it stinks, and that's unfortunate. However, ASUS knows this, and so they have included a tool called Polaris Office built in with it, and it's one of those things that. I don't think you can actually buy. It's not in the market or anywhere. It's only only OEMs can buy it right now, sort of like uh, documents to go uh, where on the Palm and, and the BlackBerry. But it will sync with Google Apps. You enter your Google Apps credentials, and you connect to it, and it sees all of your Google Apps documents, and you can open them, and they are beautiful. And you can edit them, and they are beautiful. The editing is smooth, and it, it is it is a very Google docs like experience it works really well uh it looks good it's comfortable you just can't sync it you don't get the multi-user thing so if you're you're working on a local copy of it so you're not actually working on the web it downloads a copy to your machine and you're working on a local copy now once you've done that you can save it back up to google docs but it's as if you had uploaded another document. Google sees that it doesn't merge the changes with your original document. It sees that as another document. So if you use Polaris Office to create your work and then sync it up to Google Docs, you know, that's 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 probably the best scenario. If you've got something out there that someone has shared with you, you can download it, you can edit it, you can make changes, and you can even push it back up. But they're not going to see those changes. They're asynchronous. So it's it's close. It's like 85% where I need it to be. And it may be good enough, frankly, um, because it gives you the tools of a tab- of, uh, of a uh, laptop in a tablet form factor that, you know, it's it, like I said, it's about 85% there. It works. You can do anything you need to do. Your formatting is saved. Everything uh, all works right there, and it's 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 quick. And with the t- keyboard, it's a pleasure to type on. There's just a little extra added work on the back end, and you miss that collaboration. And and that's a that's sort of a big deal. Uh, we use Google Apps a lot for collaboration, and when that's gone, that's a big deal. 
Yeah, and that's part of where we've we've gotten that high adoption rate with Google Apps in the classroom and the teachers really uh, loving uh, adopting Google Docs. But the reason a big part of that is the collaborate the collaboration that can occur there. Um, so without that, that really is a killer for us. Uh, it, it is. It's kind of sad because you see this device and you say this is the this is this is the device that we've been waiting for uh but now it's up to the programmers to kind of catch up you know get that form factor right where we need it to be from a software standpoint so uh yeah for our school district google docs needs to work on it and uh, until it does we we could never really look at uh deploying it so yeah so the uh I forgot what I was going to say. I had a I had a great point there, and I lost it in the middle of trying to say um, the the oh yeah. What I would say is you. It's not that you can't do Google Apps on this. You can, but when you're in the the mobile browser mode, you can edit one line at a time. You can't format anything. You can't change a font. You can't add a bullet point. You can't make it bold or underline. All you can do is type. Now. If the line has already been formatted, what you type keeps that formatting, right? So if you're working with something again, that's already so it's designed really for quick edits to pre-created documents. It's not really good for creating documents. Now, I guess if you want to create a document with all the thing and there's nothing there, you can create that in Polaris Office and upload it, and then you you get everything except that. The next time you want to work on it, you got to re-upload it again as a different document. So, like I said, it's almost there. But so you can work with Google Docs. It's just that Google's interface isn't ready for mobile yet, and and I hope that's something they're working on because that's going to be a big deal. Uh, and uh, our listener in the chat room says, "How's that different than an iPad with Office 2 HD?" I don't know. Um, I haven't used that, but I assume it's probably a, a similar experience. Um, it's the it's it's Google who needs to fix this, and it's not that they need to fix it on Android. It's not that they need to fix it on iPad. It's that they need to fix it on Google Apps. They need to make that standards compliant. That thing that I was just yelling about earlier, and they need to make it where what the tricks and the JavaScript and the stuff, the HTML5 that they use on the desktop, they can use on any browser or on a motorboat running a Linux kernel, like I said earlier. Um, and they're just they're not there yet. And I really hope they're working on it because. If they get it, then this will be that crossover device that we've been looking for. The 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 ease and and multifaceted uh, consumption of a tablet with the actual power to create of a laptop. Yeah, so, all sounds good to me. Whew. Man, I feel like I've just been blurring through right there. Uh, <laughs> so we have some notes there just about uh, uh, honeycomb in itself. Um, if you don't want to use the dock, if you don't want to pay for that, you can plug in a standard USB keyboard and mouse. Um, it does work that way. I'm sorry, not USB, Bluetooth, uh, because the device doesn't have USB on it. But if you want to, uh, if you don't want to use the regular keyboard, you can get a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse. And, and people say that about the iPad too. That's you know that's absolutely true. Um, but all those things that I've seen. In the past, including the iPad and the the existing Android tablets, is just clunky. It it looks like you've propped a a tablet up on your lap and connected a keyboard to it, and you got to carry two different things. And it's just it's not. It's probably going to be co cost pretty close to the same amount of money, 
and it's not as effective uh, a combination as this transformer. Just the fact that it snaps into that little keyboard dock really is what I think sets, and the fact that the keyboard is so good. If it were a crappy keyboard, I wouldn't have such positive things to say about this. But the experience of it, because the keyboard is so well integrated and because it's such a good keyboard, really is what sells this thing to me. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, back on the Honeycomb OS, I did want to point out, um, and this isn't really a dig because I think we've we've come to expect things to be like ultra responsive, but uh, just you know when you start something, uh, it takes a couple extra milliseconds uh, to to actually pop up on screen. So it seemed like it was not quite as responsive as what I'm used to seeing. Uh, it's certainly not on my phone, my Android phone. I, I, uh, Sean, you haven't seen it since I did the firmware upgrade this afternoon. That is no longer the case. Uh, oh, really? Out of the box, it was running. And this happens all the time. You buy something. And sure. When it was built, it had one firmware on it, but now there's a new one. Uh, with the with the firmware update, which just happened over the network. I mean, it popped up and said, "Hey, you've got an update." Uh, there was a firmware update to the keyboard and to the screen itself, and uh, now it's much more responsive. It's much snappier, and um, it's they fixed the, whatever those little glitches were. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's funny how uh, how we come, we've become to be just so expectant of you know you click on something and it should just automatically appear, and when it doesn't, uh, you know even if it is just some you know a handful of milliseconds, uh, you can tell the difference. And uh, and then uh, it's funny we hear our users complain all the time when uh, it's something like that, right? I click on it and you know it might take like a second to appear yeah. instead of like a quarter of a second. And uh, uh, I can't use this thing; it's just so slow. Yeah. Well, bef- <laughs> so. Before the firmware upgrade, typing you you would put your cursor there and you'd start typing and it would be like three or four characters behind you then it would catch up and then you'd hit enter and move down to the next line and you'd start typing and it'd be three or four characters behind you and then it would catch up uh so that um was annoying enough to to really be noticeable but again once i did the firmware upgrade that went away it's it's uh you know there was must have been some driver issues or something there that they sorted out so that that's great. Uh, full multitasking. Eat that iPad. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, you can do uh, up to twenty things they say at one time. Uh, I don't know what twenty things you would do at one time, but now to say this, we have become accustomed again. When you when you hand this to somebody, they're going to think netbook. So there they're going to think they're going to open a browser window and then open their email window and then open their music player and they're going to have them all running and they're going to work back and forth between them. And that's not really how tablets are designed to work. In, in a tablet interface or, or um, a mobile interface of any kind, you get one app that takes the full screen. And that's where Apple is moving with their the latest release, too. They they recognize that they want it to be that way on the desktop. And and Windows 8, from the, the screenshots that we've seen, they're moving to that, too, is where one app takes the whole desktop. And so it's going to take a little getting used to 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 get to used to working in that environment. But if you're one of those people that just opens a browser and does everything in tabs and stuff that way, then you're right at home with this thing. Yeah, that would that would be me. Although I'm sure I would in probably 30 seconds overload that thing because I'm sure it's not designed <laughs> to open 90 tabs. tabs. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Um, uh, now, uh, a listener in the chat room mentioned uh, a release by Google today, and it, it actually kind of applies to this. Uh, I'm not sure. It's maybe something we can test out. Uh, I heard about it last week is the uh, the uh, Gmail and Google, Google Apps uh, offline. They're bringing that back. I don't know if you had heard about that, Mark. Yeah, I did hear about that, and um, I, I, it was something you had to turn on and and download, and I, I didn't do that. Um, yeah, I'm kind of curious. Maybe it's something to test out with this and just see, uh, you know, how that if it works. I don't even know if it, it's supposed to work uh, with Chrome. So I guess you'd have to put uh, a Chrome browser there, and then yeah. Well, Android is designed to always be connected. I mean, that's sort of its ethos from the ground up. It assumes a permanent connection. So I would be surprised if they if that works. Um, I mean, they, they just sort of, I mean, you, you can't like put like Google Music, for example. You don't put music on it. You stream it from the web. And that's just, right. you know, it does, you don't have documents. You have Google Docs. You don't have offline mail. You have Gmail. So I, I, I wonder if that is even possible in Android, and if so, how well implemented it would be. Yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, another thing, though, is, uh, and completely away from this device, but that is actually good news for uh, education if you are a Google Apps uh for education district or uh, entity uh, because we don't really have this problem in our district. We, we've got a pretty solid and reliable connection at this point, uh, but a lot of districts out there don't. So uh, I know that was when we first moved to uh, Google Docs, that was a big problem for us. We didn't have the pipeline that we needed. And uh, so we were constantly having these connectivity issues. And so this kind of brings you know, a little bit of a fallback for those districts that maybe can't afford that, that huge pipe. So. Yeah. Okay. So there's a, a free yeah. tip. That's my tech tip, by the way, cause I don't have any, I told you last <laughs> week I was out. That was my tech tip. Thank you. Element 046 in the chat room for my, my tech tip. <laughs> there you go. So is, are you saying that uh, I need to bust in with my, uh, my teacher tip well, of the week? You know, somebody's going to have to do something cause I'm, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's and we're running late. You sound tired. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I'll jump in here with my teacher tip of the week, and uh, I can't remember exactly where I got this. It was some witty, smart guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell he's my boss too? <laughs> Is that obvious? Uh, but either way, uh, uh, yeah. Mark sent this uh, as an email out to our teachers. And uh, I looked at it and thought, ah, oh, I've got to include this as a teacher tip. So, uh, so yeah, I stole this one from Mark. Remind101.com. And it's just like it sounds, uh, remind101.com. Uh, what this is, it's a free texting tool designed for the classroom with, uh, with built-in privacy features. It's actually very simple. And if you go to their website, they actually, uh, I think you have to click on the uh, – learn more or about us tab or something like that. But they have a nice video. It's uh, it's only about a minute and 20 seconds that really gives a good breakdown of what this thing does. Uh, but basically, a teacher can go on this site. They can uh, create a class so they can, uh, of course, they're going to have to log in and create an account and all that fun stuff. But once you're in there, you get a dashboard and you can create a class. And when you create the class, all it does is it gives you a code that you can share out to students and parents and uh, however uh, you want to uh, set this group up. 
Um, so what they'll do is your students or your parents. So if you want to uh, set a class up and give uh, text alerts that, uh, you know, homework is due tomorrow or whatever, anything that's going on in your classroom, uh, you send this code out to the students and parents. They go from their phone and sign up for to be part of that group and uh, basically to subscribe to your texts. And then uh, once they do that, you you simply text to uh, you text to this specific code, and it will uh, it'll be handed out to all those people in your group. Uh, what's really nice about this is both sides of that equation do not know the phone number of the other person. So it's uh, all of the people receiving your texts are not getting your phone number. They they see it as coming from that group and they never do see your actual phone number so the teacher doesn't have to worry about that. Uh, and then the other side of the equation is the teacher doesn't know the phone numbers of the students and parents. And uh, we know that, you know, that can lead to uh, some sticky situations if you've got uh, texts going between uh, teachers and students directly and things like that. And uh, you don't want to ever have to worry about that. So uh, it's a great tool, keeps everybody's privacy, uh, you know, intact. And at the same time, gives a teacher yet another way to reach out to, uh, to students and parents. So check it out, remind101.com. Yeah, I mean, there are states right now working on, on making that illegal for a teacher to text a student. So this this website, I'm sure there are others like it, but this website really fills a, a neat gap there in that you can communicate with students in the way they communicate with one another. Um, and it's not quite as public as, say, Twitter hashtag would be, um, but it's private. You don't know their text, their, their cell phone number. They don't know yours, so they're not going to be texting you in the middle of the night. And it's one way they can't text to the re- to everybody else only you who set up the account can broadcast so they can't reply to you they can't uh, send out broadcasts of their own so it's a really it's a one-way dissemination tool that um, i can see actually whole districts wide doing this sort of stuff uh for football scores or for uh school closings or for anything like that having uh things that people sign up for in a secure anonymous way yeah absolutely great tool so go check it out and that brings us to the part of the show where we tell you about Element OP Productions. Uh, our website, elementop.com, is where you can find out more about us, find out about our other shows on the network. Uh, if you want to follow Sean and me on Twitter, uh, you could do that at uh, elementop.com, uh, excuse me, twitter.com slash elementop. Um, and there you will find a Twitter list, which in this case just is Sean and me. Or you can find us on uh, facebook.com slash elementop. Anyway, anything that's basically Element and Opie, you're going to find us. And that's where you can uh, get involved as well. That's, again, the live stream that we mentioned earlier. You can get in there and listen and watch and, and communicate. Thank you, anonymous listener in the chat room, uh, for uh, chiming in today. Uh, you can be a part of our show. You can derail the show. Some people uh, often take great uh, joy in distracting me and, and derailing the show. <laughs> Mark is easily distracted by the chat room. Ooh, I love shiny. it. People, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Somebody type something in there and mark will be mid-sentence and stop <laughs> you can tell you're reading the chat yeah. room so i love it so uh, uh join us there and let us know what you think there's forums there where you can communicate with us you know every week we come here we sit in front of our microphones and we communicate with you we would like you to communicate with us tell us what we're doing right tell us what we could be doing better uh and uh if you like what we're doing tell everybody else about it so uh we've uh 
we want to spread the good news, right? We want to grow our vast element opi empire uh, across the seas. So uh, uh, tell all your friends and uh, go to your grandma's house and download it for her so that she won't know what we're talking about. Um, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. So, Sean, was this a good show? Uh, no, it wasn't really. It was a great show. A great show. Okay. As usual. Having said that, <laughs> we now have been officially dubbed a great show. And so this is Mark signing off. And Sean signing off. <laughs> <laughs>